A funeral director is the person we are loath to need the services of, for it means that a death has occurred and we need their help. And yet, death is something that will eventually touch us all, our friends, our neighbors, our closest family members. And so we need these very special people. My friend Russ recently made the decision to change careers and to become a funeral director. And his journey has been nothing short of terrifying, fascinating, heartbreaking, and awe-inspiring. I've been following his journey, and I thought that you, my Tapophile friends, might enjoy this peek into this little-known world, the death care industry. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. and Taphophiles, this is your host, Lachelle. Thank you for joining me today on Stones, Bones, and Shadows, a podcast where we share our love of cemeteries and of the stories of people. Each person that has ever lived has a story, and they meant something, and they were important. We try to honor them by telling their stories. Today, we're doing an interview with a taphophile, and I'm interviewing my friend Russ, as I said. We don't give his last name or much info because of HIPAA laws, but his story is just too amazing to miss. Let's get right to it. So today, we have got our friend Russ, who has just started a new career in the death care industry. And so we were just so lucky and blessed to have him today. Russ, welcome to Stones, Bones, and Shadows. Thanks so much for having me, Rochelle. It's a real pleasure. Oh, it's so great to have you on here. And I have followed all the new adventure from the beginning. And it really is an adventure. I mean, it's had its highs, its lows, some scary things, some fun things. Yeah, it has. You know, I hadn't even seen a dead body until I... Really? Um, yeah, until I went into this. I think I saw my... Oh, that's interesting. I saw my grandfather when I was young from a distance in a casket. I don't remember it, but I know what happened. So, yeah, it's uh, the whole thing. How this all came to be is quite an odd, odd story, but I think it's probably typical of a lot of people in the death care industry, too. Yeah, so I just, I want to know what that was. What was your motivation and your interest in totally changing your career to the death care industry and becoming a mortician? Well, what's interesting is when I was, a, I grew up a huge James Bond fan and I was a, um, I was the Roger Moore. I grew up with Roger Moore as my James Bond, although I like the other guys yes. better, but Roger Moore was my guy. And there is a, yeah, Same. right. And there is a movie, um, Diamonds Are Forever where he's in Vegas. And there's this one scene at the beginning and the end 
um, where he's put in this cremation chamber and he's supposed to give the mortician some or the funeral director some money and you know that wasn't what was so exciting i just loved the feeling of i don't know that not the ritual but there's something about watching it as a little kid and when i went on a trip with my school i was in eighth grade i think they took us i don't know what kind of school would do this but they took us <laughs> to a funeral home and there were five of us really? i know there are five of us and they took us into the embalming room which honestly that's okay. Legally, you can do that as long as there's nothing going on in there. Right. But my friends ran out, kind of not screaming, but just were like, oh, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and I was so intrigued. And I'll never forget the smell. It was the scent of cherry. It was cherry. Cherry. It was so, yeah, it was very interesting. And I was really intrigued. I'm just blown away here. <laughs> that was a while ago. That was... Uh, not to give my age away, but that was in uh, 89, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so, yeah, so I was really interested um, and, and I still I still smell it. And that was quite a while ago. Um, and then, you know, we went I went into a different career field and um, it which was lovely helping people. And then um, about 10 years into that, I realized, you know, this this thing came back to me. Oh, my gosh. I, I really wonder what it's like to be a funeral director. And I think it happened because I watched Diamonds Are Forever again. I don't know. I probably, <laughs> something kicked it off. I don't know what it probably was that. And, uh, I love it. And then, uh, I know. We owe it all to Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> yeah, thanks, James. Um, yeah, so I, I uh, but I didn't go into it. And I continued down the career I've been in. And, um, about a year ago, uh, my wife's older brother uh, suddenly passed, and he was a Green Beret 5th Division Airborne and spent 20 oh, years wow. of sniping and, and a lot of covert missions in Afghanistan. And a true, true American hero, just, I mean, just an amazing guy. And he retired and got home and was killed on a motorcycle. And oh. it, he was kind of... The, oh, my heart. I know. I know. He was the glue that held my wife and her other two siblings together and his parents. He was the, the oldest boy. And uh, just so sad. And we flew out to the base. It was in the Midwest. Um, and we did the whole nine yards, you know, the 21 gun or the 21, the seven gun salute where they shoot 21 times. Um, yes. Just beautiful. But I watched, and uh, I won't say where it was because I don't really shame anybody, but I watched the funeral director. Uh, and first of all, they didn't lock the casket. It was open. Uh, you couldn't see in there, but, um, you know, it, I, I knew, and I wasn't in this at all. They didn't lock it. Yeah. And as my sister-in-law, his wife, his widow, I should say, is sitting there distraught beside herself. She's been with him for 30 years. She leans down and starts giving her paperwork to sign and pay. And I looked at my wife, what? Like everybody's bawling. And I said, this isn't right. It's got to be better. It's got to be better. What are we doing uh, here? And so I got home and I uh, said, and I said to Tammy, I said, that's my wife, by the way. I said, it's time for me to do this. And I, what I didn't wow. tell her is before we flew out there, I'd actually started researching the week before. And I, really? felt, I felt really Aww. odd because I thought, God, am I using his death to to explore something and I thought wait a second no I'm not 
things come to right. people when they least expect it. We don't know the journeys ahead of us. We don't know what's going to For sure. get us there. And so I called a couple funeral homes randomly and I said, hey, I know nothing. <laughs> I want to be somebody who helps families. And I talked to this guy and he says, well, we're not hiring for about a year, but why don't you come on in? We'll talk and we can talk about, you know, maybe doing removals and such. So I went in and interviewed and uh, they took me on as somebody who does removals. And I thought, okay, a year of this and hopefully a funeral director position will open. And six weeks later, um, somebody walked and he just gave me the job. So it's been, wow. it's been wild, Lachelle. It's been absolutely wild. Um, I've seen things yeah. I never thought I'd see. I've touched yeah. things I never thought I'd touch. <laughs> and I've yeah. felt things I've never thought I'd felt, I feel. Yeah. And um, it's, I don't know. I used to always be scared of death. I'm not scared of it anymore. Yeah, same. Yeah, I'm not scared. But anyway, so that's kind of how the journey went. And, you know, since then, it's come in handy. One of my very best friends' um, son unexpectedly passed um, from a complication, and I was able to help right. him. And uh, that was the hardest 10 days of my life because I basically did everything for them. The funeral home let me step in. So it's hard. It's hard, and I think about him all the time. He's my motivation to keep going. As that happened and you wrote a little bit about that, it just felt not all an accident that you were where you needed to be to help some people that just meant the most to you. I think we go through life kind of wondering if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've felt that for a long time. And with this, what I call my quote unquote second career, I do, I feel like it fits. Like the puzzle pieces are there. And some people may say, oh my, that's crazy. No. But I remember when I told my father I was going through this. My father, he knows me pretty well. Um, I said, hey, dad, I'm going to be a funeral director and a, a mortician. Or we don't really use that term anymore, but a funeral director in Palmer. And he said, perfect. Wow. Because he knew. He knew. So I think you're right. I think, you know, things don't happen by accident. And things... I, I'm a big believer in fate, mm -hmm. but I also know that we make our own paths. Yeah. But so anyway. So you started out with helping with viewings and going in and doing these removals. How did that feel the first time that you went in? I know that you were shadowed someone for a while and helped. How did that feel the first time you went in to remove a deceased person from their home or the hospital? The first time was a home. It was a off in the woods, which where I live in the Pacific Northwest, it's, we have these, uh, it's amazing. It was 94 today with incredible sun, um, but it's most of the year. It's, you know, we have a little bit of rain, <laughs> if you've heard the stories, mm -hmm. um, and evergreen, yes, yes. And beautiful hills, and, you know, living in, in, in where I live. Um, so I went into this house with uh, the gentleman that hired me, and I was nervous. I was quite nervous uh, because I hadn't really seen one. Yeah. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm really going to touch somebody who's passed and we went in right. and this sweet little old lady fell asleep and just never woke up Aww. and she looked just like my grandmother before she passed and I just it hit me kind of like a, a wall you're like oh this is someone's grandma this is someone's mom this is yeah that's exactly right so from the first time it connected with me um, as I bent down to you know do a little kind of inspection and, and um it, we put a little kind of like a an, it's an ID tag, right? It's, it's a bracelet mm -hmm. of, or an anklet, I should say. It's like you're in the hospital, we're all gonna wear yeah. them someday, so yeah. I don't mind talking about 
um, you know, I, I he goes, <laughs> the guy that was with me says, okay, now put that on. I'm like, hold on now. I'm about to touch an ankle of somebody who's passed and I've never touched a dead yeah. body before. So I slowly, he's just watching me. And we lifted her and moved her out to the cot. But I watched him talk with the daughter. And I just, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later about what happens if you're in the yeah. industry too long, but he hasn't been, but, and he's, he's an incredible person. He's more of a lab person than I do, um, but he's amazing with people. And I watched him and I thought ah, that right there, that's why I want to do this. So it was kind of a, a, it was kind of a moment where I just went, yeah, that's right. This is the right thing to do. And I recorded um, my very first post right afterwards. Yeah. And uh, it was, <laughs> you know, and some people might ask why I'm doing the recording, and I can get into that later too. But it, um, it really, it had a lot to do with um, just getting my thoughts and feelings out there because I know a lot of people want to go into this, and they just they go, I'm going to go to mortician school or right. mortuary school, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to embalm people, and you get a lot of, I'm not putting it down, but you get a lot of goth people who <laughs> so are like, yes, I'm going to do it. And the first time they see a, a deceased or a, a dead person, they run screaming toward the hills. So I, I, that's kind of why I wanted to tell that first day journey. And I didn't know that it would turn into what it was turned into, to be honest. Because like, there's no motivation behind it other than just right, to tell right. how it feel. That's it. And I can, I can totally tell that by reading that it's your way of, it's kind of a little journaling. I know I've seen... Um, where you've written about your death journal, that you have a journal that you can write everything. You know, it's funny. Uh, I didn't keep that up. Oh, really? No, no. I did that. I did it for a week, and then I thought, nope, I'm just going to record. Um, <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Uh, what's really funny... And that's okay. Yeah, no, hey, you got to do what you got. For some people, it's journaling. Um, for me, it's video journaling. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, I, I do I do have a, a therapist because just about everybody in the death care industry has one, and I believe yeah. everybody in the world should have one personally. Um, I do um, too. It, we should. We need to have somebody to talk to who's qualified. Um, but yeah. he suggested the journaling, and I told him how I was going to do it. He goes, "Oh, that's really cool." He goes, "Make sure you stay anonymous." I'm like, oh, "I'm working on it." <laughs> but but yeah, <laughs> I'm working it's on it. yeah. So no, the journaling has been. Um, something the video journey has been really important to me there's been a number that i haven't even posted that are just for me they're just for me i'll go back and, and watch them i think that's really great do you feel like as each one that you went to and helped remove did it get easier and that's that's an interesting question because to me that question is it's a level of acceleration with how you grew how your growth your mindset for me, it's an emotional uh, mm -hmm. growth, and it's not, right. no, it's not easier, but I'm used to it. Does that make sense at all? Yes. So I, I the day I become numb and don't care, and I'm like, ah, whatever, I'm out. I will, I'm out. But the good thing is I'm used to it, especially with you know, what I've been doing the past two weeks. Um, I have to be. I've got my hands literally right in there, and so I have to get used to it. You're more comfortable with the process. I am more comfortable with the process, but I'll never be, I'll never be, my goal is to never be numb. 
that's my goal. Right. You don't want it to be easy. I get what you're saying. Like my question probably wasn't worded right. Oh no, because you don't want it to be easy and walk into a room and be like, oh, okay, I'm here to pick up the body, you know. Oh yeah, even at the morgue, and, and we, so I haven't done removals in about three months. I'll go out if I need to. I'll help, but we have a team for that. Um, but when I was going to the morgue at the hospital, where you go in the back entrance and security guards mm -hmm. let you in, and you go and you pull a decedent out of either, you know, a big cooler, walk-in cooler, or I went to right. the hospital and it's a, oh, it's very bizarre. It's like a, like a lotto machine. I don't know what that was. It was, it was very odd, but it's really easy to just, you know, talk with the security guard and pull the, pull the body over. So I do something with Shell that's very odd. I talk to the deceased person in front of other people. And it's not because I want I don't think that's to, odd. Well, I don't want them to think that I'm this person that does this, but if they see me treating the situation with respect and honor, then perhaps we can get rid of this numbness that seems to be plaguing the industry. I see it everywhere. Yeah. I mean, there's one I went off about three weeks ago. I was so pissed about right. how this, yeah, you probably saw that where this, Yeah. Ugh, it was just horrible what was said about this child. And I just, I was so angry. Um, so when that numbness happens, it's time to go. It's time to go. Can you tell a little bit about what happened, that the incident? I can, and I'll try. I'll try to use a more kind language than I did in that video. <laughs> <laughs> you can see on the video though, because of the picture, my face. I look pissed. I just shaved my five o'clock for the first time in nine years, and my <laughs> face was cold, and I'm angry. And <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you were holding it back. I was. Um, I had a young couple come in and they had this beautiful healthy child that uh, lived in a home birth and uh, 42 weeks and passed in the birth canal uh, because it, the umbilical cord um, caught across her shoulder Aww. and I always thought I can't do it I can't do it I mean we almost you know we did lose our first one my wife and I and then not quite like that it was a miscarriage which most oh, of us go I'm through so that sorry well and so those thought those thoughts come back and so yeah those feelings you know, yeah it's horrible so I helped this couple through and I'm so proud to say that where I work if it's a we call it a fetal, fetal demise is the technical term but if we have a passing of a of a baby or a child or even a fetus um we we do everything for free. We don't charge them a thing. Aww. And because that's just the right thing to do. My hand is, you can't see me, but my hand is over my heart. And I'm just like, oh, that is so amazing. Well, and that's when, um, so, you know, I had, and I had to go in, the, the, the little one was with us. Well, the little one had passed and was at the coroner's for way too long and then came to us and they, I, I asked them, I said, do you want some little handprints? And they said, you would do that? I said, I would. Of course I would. And I went in, I did little handprints and the footprints, and I had um, my office manager come help me. She's so sweet. Um, we both have girls the same age. And she's just a lovely colleague. And afterwards, we wrapped little little one up, and we put her back, and we just kind of went outside and sat and just looked at the sky because we both have kids. And we both held kids that size, Aww. you know, yeah. and next week I went to get my hair cut <laughs> and uh, I'm sitting there in the chair and, you know, this amazing stylist is saying, what, what do you do? What do you do? And uh, I told her what I do. She goes, oh, I was at that place. 
I said, what? She goes, yeah, uh, my, my son died and he was a year old and I went to this place. I said, oh, interesting. She goes, yeah, um, it was pretty horrible because I wanted to see him and I had clothes for him. But the funeral director walked up to me and said, oh, well, I'm just going to say it out loud, Lachelle. Um, it's kind of graphic. She goes, yeah. oh, I, I can't show you your son because he's been all chopped up. Now, I don't know what kind of sick bleep you are, but you don't, I mean, get out. Yeah. Get out of the industry. Get the F out. (laughs) Right? I I can't. And I I get it. You know, I try to see things from that perspective because I understand the numbness. I understand that some people have to do that. But if you need to do that, do it to yourself at your desk. Don't do it with the parent of the decedent. And you shouldn't, I, in my opinion, shouldn't either. And some people may say, well... Are you kidding me? I mean, who could even, who could do that? I don't know. Uh, that person is lo- no longer in the industry. I did figure out who it was. Um, and they left shortly thereafter. That's and good. That could have been reason. So she told me where her son had been buried. So I told her, I said, you know what? Next time I'm driving by that cemetery, I'll stop by and say hi. So I went there and we, I found this little area where um, it's, it was like a baby's garden for all the, the young, year and under. Yeah. And I found some roses. Yeah. Actually, I'll just say this. I stole some fake roses from the funeral home <clears throat> where it worked. And because uh, <laughs> sometimes we'll have those and we'll place them on a photo when we take a decedent into our care. But I put them on his little grave and I haven't right. seen her since. Um, but I just, that all, that's what triggered that video. I was so... And, and I, I recorded it about five minutes after I heard the story. So you were hot. Oh, I was hot. I was <laughs> you hot. You were so hot. Yeah. And it's hard to be hot, but I don't want to come off as somebody who's judgmental and, oh, look at him. He he He's a gift to I the get it. funeral industry. I'm not at all. I, I screw up. I make mistakes. I do the wrong thing sometimes, and I have to learn from it. But just, that really as just... As we all do. Yeah, that grinded my gears pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, as it should have, because that is heinous. Oh, yeah, disgusting. Absolutely. Wow. Did you feel like, as you have worked with babies and younger people, teenagers, that's got to just be that much harder than, of course, a grandmother that's lived a full life? And- yeah, this this week I embalmed a 104-year-old. And uh, it's a sweet little old thing. <laughs> And, uh, boy, did, did she look 104, uh, you know, and to get, to, to get a little technical, oh, bless her heart. I know to get a little technical when you, when you search around and you're, you're trying to find that, um, the, the, the artery, uh, as well as the jugular vein, the two vessels you need to raise for embalming. Things happen to us. We're gross. Humans are gross. Um, things happen to our <laughs> veins. Are gross. We are. We're, we're kind of gross. Like, we're also amazing machines, as I've noticed. Um, when yes. the body dies, yes. it goes to work. You know, that all, all the things living in the body go to work. Um, so, getting her started was difficult. Um, but, yeah. but I, uh, I, she's so sweet. And her son was going to bury her in another state. And so, I got her embalmed and I. We have a special um, carrier called a combo unit. We have a special carrier, and he was going to throw mom in the back of his pickup and drive to California. And he did. <laughs> he did. Oh my gosh. And it's, it was really 
sweet and weird and bizarre and funny and sad and but amazing. But amazing. And yeah. every emotion I had as I watched him drive off just Okay. You know, I, I didn't know whether to like cheer or cry yes. or play a banjo or you know, do yeah. I didn't know what to do, but <laughs> he was such a sweet guy and so I had her Oh, and that's then, amazing. It is, it's amazing. At the same time I'm preparing and I did a service for a young gentleman. I the service was uh, about five hours ago, actually. And it was um, for this, uh, you know, we have this fentanyl epidemic right now in, in America. And uh, it was, I see those cases once a week. And I've done a number of them. Once the of a week? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Oh, Russ. Yeah, it's, it's tough. So, you know. I'll... Now, maybe this is a time for us to do a public service announcement to the to the world here, to our audience. Yeah, don't, if you're going to do pot, um, please go buy it from a dispensary. That's what I would say. Um, you know, because you have a lot of these street drugs that are laced with fentanyl and just the one little extra bit, you're not going to make it. So it could be a young person thinking, I'm just getting a little bit of pot. I'm just going to smoke a little and just get a little high, you know, not be a major drug doer. Right. It could be. There's and a, it could be uh, laced with fentanyl. Yeah, and you're 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 down for the count. And the hard thing about that is, if it's on the body, um, if I were to touch that and get it on my skin, there's a good chance I could overdose and die. So Whoa. when yeah, so be careful. Don't pick up any pills in the park right now. Um, but so what we do is we I double glove and mask and apron and all that stuff and. Just very careful. Usually it's a coroner case when it happens. So if there's a coroner case, we always know. Just be careful. Um, wow. Yeah, it was tough. It's tough. I was going, Once a week, though? Yeah, we're getting the cases where I'm at at least once a week. Now, it doesn't mean I work with those families. Um, in the past right. month, though, I've had... Past month, I've had five. Five. Oh, that's Actually, just a gentleman tragic. Came, it is tragic. A gentleman came in today. He was actually in his 60s, and it was a fentanyl overdose. So, yeah, it's it's hard. But so I guess what I was getting at there is you were talking about how. <laughs> Sorry, I went on this whole different thing because I, I was no, like, I did. What? I did too. <laughs> that's how this that's how this conversation works, though, when you're talking this stuff. But um, that's true. Yeah, this she's hopefully you know, everybody she's... can follow our little trails and twists and turns here. Right, right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or or just you know forward and rewind and forward and rewind. It'll all be the same. <laughs> Um, you know, working with somebody who had this great long life, and then all of a sudden, at the same time, working with a family who lost their second son to a fentanyl overdose, oh. it was just brutal. And, you know, that's who I helped lay to rest today. And uh, it was tough. It was a really tough one. You know, here his parents laying, laying his urn um, next to the casket of their other son that previously died from the same thing, and the sister sitting there. And it's just... It's hard it's because, and they asked me to speak too, and I'm not. I thought, well, we have officiants for that, but they they said, no, we think you should speak. So I helped write this little poem. Oh and wow! Back, yeah, I don't, I don't know how it went, but but they, you know, it was just a very sad, sad thing. But you know, it's interesting, Michelle. I'll tell people these stories. Obviously, I'm very discreet. I don't give names or locations or anything. Yes, that is illegal, and it's HIPAA, and I'm not going to break it like that but you know and I love what I do I don't want to jeopardize that but I'll tell people and they say how do you not take it home and well number one therapy but number two uh you know I just 
I get home and I, I watch my goofy girls play. I pet my、mm-hmm. black lab, and、mm-hmm. I, you know, go for a walk during sunset with my wife, and we just kind of, I decompress that way, and I'm able to just let it go. But, but how I also get on with it is I see the look in the eyes of the families after I've helped them, and that's yeah, that's what gets me through, and that's how I don't take、oh, home. That's amazing. So something else that I saw you write in a post is offering understanding is not always possible. Offering peace is not always possible. Offering comfort is not always possible. Sometimes we simply must be present and still. I thought that was just so great. Sometimes you just need to be there, right? Yeah. And sometimes that is enough. That is enough. And looking at the family today, I just I spoke at the graveside, and you know we.、Um, They didn't want to stay for the urn to be lowered,、uh, but what they did want to do was just have a moment. And I, I said to them, and I spoke directly to the mom, the dad, and the daughter. I said, you know, this isn't about going through stages of grief because I don't believe in them, Michelle. I believe in、yeah. waves of grief. There are waves、right. of grief, and you don't know when they're going to come, and they're going to all of a sudden hit you,、um, you know. But I said, you know. This is about evolving as a person because you now have to exist in a different world. And how do we do that? How do we exist in a different world, a different reality, where we've lost somebody that we love, and they're not coming back? Now you can see them in nature, you can feel them in your heart, you can talk to them at, at the wind, you can see them in the trees. You know, you, you, there's all that. But how do you exist in this new reality? And sometimes you just need to shut up and sit. And not try to help, and just listen, and let them talk. And that's hard、right. to do because I, I want to heal everybody. I want. I'm a healer. I know. Me too. My therapist says, "Stop trying to heal people." I'm like, I can't help it.、Um, but just let people be. Let them be. You know, let them be. And and that's okay. And but you're there, and you support. You're like a support team. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is a support team, and you know, there's strength in numbers. And sadly, sometimes we'll get to cases where there's no numbers. There's one person, and so we just be present with them as well. You know, do what we can do. I, I often encourage people to seek somebody professionally to talk about a grief counselor、uh, to talk about this with,、um, because you know you have to express. There's a lot of people who will go through losing somebody they love, a child, a spouse. A, A sibling, a best friend, whoever—a mother, a father—and they will not express that pain that they're feeling, or I know this sounds crazy to say the relief that they're feeling, or whatever they're feeling. And if they don't express it, then how、mm-hmm. you're just you're holding it in. And some people maybe they're meant to do that, but I would say the majority of people, you know, probably aren't. And, and I think that's that's kind、right. of something you do on your show because what makes your show so unique is you go to these cemeteries, and I, I just I, I I love following you on Instagram. I feel horrible. I'm like,、ah, I missed the post. What, what's going on back there? And、uh, <laughs> you know, I love them all. But the the one that you just did about the two airplanes over the Northern Grand Canyon and the grave site and the unmarked and what's so bizarre? If I had listened to that podcast. That episode, that is, 
before I entered this industry, I don't think I would have visualized all the things you were reading when they had to go down and retrieve oh, gotcha. the bodies. But I can oh, visualize、yeah. it now, like a body in the、yeah. hot sun and what happens. I've seen it.、Oh. I know what happens. Yes. And so the visuals struck me. But I think that's what you <laughs>、oh. do: is you go and you tell these stories that you know. Whenever you see a, whenever you see a cemetery and you see a lone, just one tomb, that's a story.、Mm-hmm. It's a story. It is. And it's it's amazing to think that every single marker has a story. That's exactly how I see it. I've said this before, but I saw a picture once, and they had kind of. Superimposed pictures of all these different soldiers from different wars next to all the graves,、mm-hmm. and that's how I see a cemetery. Oh is, wow!、Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As I'm, I'm saying. walking through, I'm. It's like I can picture, like, oh, this is a grown woman. She was 45. Look, here is her husband. He lived till 98. You know, and th- and you think about that story. Yeah, and and how were those last years without his wife for that many years? You know, for fifty years he was without his wife. What was that story? And that's、yeah. the whole new reality. Somebody like that has to live in a different new reality. And that reality、right. might mean a second or third marriage. It might mean adventure. It might mean anything. But it's that new reality. And I think you never get. Over it? No, you never get over it. You and I had this rant the other day on Instagram, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I remember that. And you don't get over it. You can. If if anybody wants to tell somebody to get over it, um, there's a good chance that they haven't been through loss. Because people that've、right. been through loss kind of understand you don't you don't get over it. You you may get used to it, but you, and you may have different day. You may have good days and bad days, but you don't get over it. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, and I liked the word that you used, evolve. It's you know, you don't ever get a closure. There's not an end to your grief. It doesn't ever end, but it just changes. Yeah, it changes. You evolve. Half of what I do too is with the, you know, it's it, you're working with the decedent, preparing them, and I was、right. I was preparing a gentleman to say goodbye to his son.、Um, in the morning, I've got to go in and and, and finish this, and、uh, you know, he's of a Native American heritage, and just and and I found out he's a Vietnam veteran. He has all these stories. Oh wow! Just he's amazing, and I was able to get his DD two fourteen, his discharge papers, so I have an American flag that'll be next to him when his son comes to see him. Um, no service or anything,、Amazing. but you know it's those moments where this son has to evolve. He has to change and、mm-hmm. not again not get used to it, but understand that there is a different relation. He has a, he still has a relationship with his father. It's just transformed. It's a diff, it, now it's a different kind of relationship. But I also believe that those little touches, those little things that you do, helps ease that way for the loved ones. I'll tell you a little story. So my grandmother, I grew up really close to her. I've talked about my grandparents before on the podcast, and I had two sets of grandparents, but one I grew up across the street from, 
And so they were just part of my daily life and watching her, you know, get older and weaker and she started to have problems and um, many strokes. And so she just wasn't herself, right? Yeah. And she was always this cute little lady with her hair always done. She always went on Saturdays, got her hair all done and her nails were always painted and she had her lipstick on. I and mean, even when she didn't have a okay. touch of makeup on, her, she'd always have lipstick on. And so anyway, I just adored her. And as she got to the last part of her life, of course, like her hair wasn't done and, you know, her makeup wasn't on. She was thin and just so sad looking and she passed away. And when we went up to the visitation, the viewing the night before her funeral, we all took one look at her laying there in the casket and I just burst into tears. Mm. Be I mean, of course, everyone would burst into tears, but she looked gorgeous. Mm. She, her face was full. Her makeup was on, you know, the embalming oh, process was oh, just good. perfect. And her hair looked just like, I hadn't seen her look this good in five or six years. And mm. so looking at her, it was like, oh, that's my dear, you know, that's, this is her. And she yeah. looks so beautiful. It just, it was amazing. And that just, it just helped for some reason. It's, you know, I had this 104 year old um, decedent and I saw her pictures. They sent me pictures before. We do a lot of ID. Oh. So always make sure we have the right person. They sent me a picture of her about a week before, and then they sent a picture. They took a picture of her five minutes after she passed. She was rough. It was. She was looking rough. She was not long for this world right before. And um, after I finished the embalming, um, yeah. my colleague, I have a partner where I work, he came in. And he's a lot like me. He started right when I did. So we're, we're on this journey. We call each other the gruesome twosome. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he came in and goes, oh, my God. Dude, what, did you use a time machine? She looks 30 years younger. Aww. And I like to say that I had a bit a part in that, but really it has to do with the preservation too. And when you're bringing life, I shouldn't say life, but when you're bringing this kind of lifelike mm -hmm. feeling into the room, and then all of a sudden you are using chemicals, obviously, and we can get into that if right. you want, but that's what we're doing. You're replacing as much blood as you can with chemicals right. for preservation. And there's all sorts of different in the cocktail we call yeah. it um it really has a good effect yeah and, and she just i mean yeah she still looked old but uh, you know she just looked right. beautiful and i right the, the scary thing is, is she's the one that the son took down to another funeral home and the whole time i'm sitting there going oh my god another funeral director i don't know is gonna see her and they're gonna judge me we always have that thought mm -hmm. on, a, on a ship out yeah if we always go what are they gonna say but when you were able to give them that life yeah. look, just like you got to have, that's a powerful thing. And it's, I yeah. don't use the word closure. I think I wrote about this once. I, I don't like the word closure because there is no closure, but there's acceptance. And then there's, yeah. again, as we've talked about transformation, you know, but it's, you don't go, okay, mm -hmm. good. I saw grandma and now I can get on with my life. No, you can't. Right. You get on with your life right. in a different manner. So I'm glad you had that experience. Exactly. And I will still have days where I will just, uh, like here, I'm at my parents now. I'll look across the street and see their house because it is still there. And I'll just burst into tears. Mm. You know, oh. that grief just still will come back. It's been 25 years or something. It, it doesn't go away.
It's wave. But that's, you know, it doesn't go away. It, that's absolutely right. And I was working with another family. This woman lost her husband fairly early on there. She was in her 60s, I think. And she's come back to see me multiple times. And last time she was there last week and she said, well, I, I don't want to have my kids pay like I had to pay for, for my husband. So I'm going to set up my pre-need. Mm -hmm. So she came in and uh, <laughs> she wanted to pay for everything beforehand, which is a beautiful gift you can give. For, if people have it in their means, it's a beautiful yeah. gift. Um, but she, <laughs> she, she was walking out. She goes, you know, I didn't think when I lost my husband that I'd gain a new family. And I thought, wow. Aww. How? My heart. I know. It was the most. <laughs> My heart keeps breaking. <laughs> it was, but it was so sweet. It was just so sweet. You know, and she hobbles out yeah. to her. You know, <laughs> she pulled up and she's, she's this tiny little lady. And uh, with this, she has scoliosis and all this. She pulls up in her Mustang GT. <laughs> and I thought, what? You are fun. And she's just, she was so fun. I love it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's those stories you can get to know these people. Yeah, it's it's not the closure. It really is a closure. It's it's the transformation. It's the gaining new family. I said today at graveside, and I say this to almost my families when I meet with them. That initial arrangement, we call it. I say, you know, the hard thing about my job, because they want to know about yeah. me. I'm taking care of their loved one. I said the hardest thing about my job is that I never get to know oh, yeah. your loved one. But what I do get to do is I get to know them through you and through your stories and through how we're going to celebrate their life. Right. So I do get to know them, which makes it harder. You know, and today as I was doing a service for a young man, I, Lachelle, honestly, people will say I'm a wimp, but I have not made it through one service without tearing up. Aww. I can't do it. I try and I, I try and I just either. can't do it. No, and it's not me bawling in the back. The funeral director has to have his <laughs> shit together. But, you know, yes. it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it's, I think, being able to hold on to it. And, and when the families see that the funeral director is invested, I think it helps, you know. And it's not fake investment, yeah. but I think oh, it helps. Yeah. Definitely. You've done some very touching and beautiful things for the loved ones, for the viewings and the funerals. I've been so impressed. It's been really just heartwarming to see your journey and to see how much love and care you take for each of these little details and I just know that those families have to feel that well I hope so I I had one where I got uh blasted by this guy because apparently I screwed everything up and uh, apparently I was oh, supposed no. to offer catering at the graveside which is very weird <laughs> so he was angry what? that I didn't offer, he was angry I didn't offer a buffet at, at his grave and I was like Wait, what? Oh. oh man. Okay. Well, there's a new one. I mean, you hear new things. I've never been to that graveside service. <laughs> no, and, which is interesting because a lot of Island Pacificers, um, there's a lot of. Well, they'll come and they'll have a big barbecue or something. So I actually think that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is an yeah. old guy living in the mountains by himself. You know, he blasted me. I called his sister. She's like, "Oh, you were amazing, Russ. Don't worry about him. He's just an old asshole." And I thought, you know. He lost his mom. Yeah. He lost his mom. If I have to be the, the, you know, if I have to follow my cross for that and take the, take the mm -hmm. hurt, then I guess that's okay. Yeah. You know, I won't take it personally. He lost his mom. And the only, the only relationship he has with me is that I'm 
helping him deal with the death of his mother. There's no friendship outside of that. It could happen right. after, but there's right. no friendship. There's no reason for him to even know me. People don't want to meet a funeral director. I know, right? You know what I mean? Yes. Why would you want to meet one? Because if you're meeting one, it's probably because you've you lost, lost someone. someone. Yeah, absolutely. So I just try to make those special moments for them, and I, I, I don't. I have so much to learn, and I'm. I try to be humble, and I, I know I'm going to screw up. Um, I'm going to screw up at embalming. You know,、um, it just it happens. That's how life is.、Uh, I guess I should say that's how death is. But you know, things、yeah. happen, and if I can just learn to help people, then I'm doing the right thing. I think I'm doing the right thing. It seems to me like what you're doing is completely you, from what I, from what I know of you. You know what <laughs> I followed. I, I think you're made for this. That's I know. My going back to what my dad said. Perfect. You know, and yeah, <laughs> right. And and it really it just comes down to wanting to help people like my sister-in-law, who had a funeral director that I believe was not. Is sensitive. Now I know that in the VA cemeteries they have to go half hour, half hour, half hour. So I know there's a rush. I get it. But there's also something called docu sign in a mailbox that you can get forms sent to. So、mm-hmm. you know, I don't know their policy and procedures. I don't want to judge that. But you know, it, going all the way back to that and seeing the sensitivity that I believe was absent in the moment. Right. That to me is where I need to focus on. And keep the sensitivity. Something that you wrote again on Instagram that I just really loved, and you said, "What comes out of our mouths the moment we meet those a decedent leaves behind is the impression they will remember as they're at the burial or you know the cremation、mm-hmm. process." Yeah. So first impressions, basically, you know, it, 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 there's. There's so many people that don't quite know how to read a room, and I'm sure you've met them, and I've met them, and they're all out there.、Um, and this is really an industry where you have to be able to read the room because that first impression is okay. This is a person who's going to take、mm-hmm. care of my brother, my mother, my daughter, my mom, you know, dad, whatever.、Um, that first impression is massive. And that takes massive. a lot of trust. You know, I mean, that would be really hard to entrust my child. You know, to allow them, even though they are dead, to go off with this person and have them take care of them, make them ready for burial. That would be really hard. You know, when when my friend's son passed, without getting into too much detail,、um, right. he, you know, I went down and, and the funeral home was wonderful. They knew what I did, and the first thing I said to the director was, "Hey." Just because I do this, I am going to be out of your way. You are the funeral director. I'm happy to help, kind of guide them because they've never been through this. And you know, and this this boy was the closest thing to a son that I've ever had. He was the closest thing to a brother my daughter's had. And so, you know, it's I, I, all those thoughts are coming, but I put my game face on, if you will, and yeah, I had to.、Yeah. They allowed me、um, to help sign papers. And I've now signed where the families that I work with have to sign, so I know how it feels. Right. It、oh, wasn't my child. I'm so terribly sorry for your loss. It's tough.、Uh, we're, you know, I see, I see signs of him today. I got home and there's a stellar blue jay on my fence, and I said, "Hey, how you doing, buddy?" You know, I just, I look for signs. Yeah. My, my friend does too. Yeah. And, you know, that 
like you said, when you're giving somebody into the care of somebody else that's passed, it's incredibly difficult and you have to have so much trust. And, you know, that's, I, I often, I would just try to put myself in their shoes and I can't, I haven't, God forbid I ever do lose somebody in my immediate family. I know I'm going to, you know, and they're going to lose me. I know what's happening. I don't like to think about right. that, but it is reality. But, you know, it, it comes down to trust. It really comes down to trust. It's hard. I think so, yeah. So I think when you meet a family where they are and you can give them that, that sense that you're trusting, you trust, um, what's the word? You are... Trustworthy. Trustworthy, that's the word. That's exactly what I was looking for. Yeah. That you're trustworthy. That means everything. I think so. I think it does mean everything to them. And uh, what I'll do often is when I meet with the family, I, I have to, it, so we were vacationing and uh, a couple of weeks ago, I took a couple of weeks off. I went to wine country. Oh, thank gosh, I needed it. But uh, we yes. were traveling through this little mountain town on the way home and we went into this uh, 365 uh, days a year Christmas shop and <laughs> it's all Christmas ornaments of every kind. It's, it's, and the Halloween part is my favorite. Fun. So Halloween's my favorite yeah. day of the year. One of my daughters comes up to me. It had nothing to do with Christmas. Although maybe it did. But it's a book. We couldn't find any other copies. It was just sitting on a shelf. And it's a poem. And it's entitled, When You Lose Someone You Love. And it's this, it's this poem that, it's about 50 pages with just a couple lines on each one. And it goes from black and white Aww. to full rainbow on the last. And she says, Dad, can you can you buy this and take it? To your job. Oh, yeah, that's I such a great idea. Isn't it sweet? Oh, and then I so I took it. it in. And when we're going through the arrangements, and you know, families have to pay, they have to write a contract because that's how things work in this world. Um, I'll go and I'll do some paperwork in the back, and I'll take some signatures, and I offer them that book. And I say, you know, my daughter found this, and she oh. wanted you to read it. And Bless my daughter. She's she's the one that's turning 16. She's this teeny uh -huh. little thing. She's amazing. And her life ambition is she wanted to be a medical examiner, but now she doesn't want to go to 15 years of school and be in court all the time. So she wants to be an autopsy technician. Oh, <laughs> she's, wow. I, she, I know. This kid, is a, she's amazing. But um, Oh, but, she sounds amazing. But the fact that she's so interested in that, but also she knows what I do. Yeah. And she's going to be coming, she, you know, through high school, they have to have volunteer hours and stuff. So she's going to come with permission um, from from my uh, my over, my overseeing manager. She's going to come and she's going to volunteer uh, and help out at the service. And she's That's really great. looking forward to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what a great lesson for kids, you know, Teach them mm -hmm. not to be afraid of death. Mm -hmm. Teach them to understand that it's going to happen to all of us and we have the opportunity to offer help to those that need it in a time where they think help will never come. So I know, so you, you know, you're real, you've like the empath, <laughs> you're really great with the feelings and the family. How was it to start doing all this medical stuff? Yeah, good. We're getting to it. I was hoping you'd get to this. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, you know when. Or you got to you know, take the, do... the feelings out of it. You know. <laughs> you <have> to... <laughs> no, you know you don't though. You don't. You don't. And okay, good. No, I can't because if I do, then it, I mean, yeah, I separate myself. It's not I, you. No, but I think it's important for people to hear this from somebody who's just starting because. 
when you hear this from somebody who's been in it for 40 years and you know their dad owned a funeral home and their father before them and family business you know it's ingrained mm -hmm. i'm coming from a place where nobody in my family has ever even thought about doing anything like this but when i tell them they're like oh perfect you know, and so, <laughs> yeah, so my first day on the job as removal, way back when, I went into this, I went into the funeral home and my hiring manager pulled me in, took me in the back hallway and he opened up our prep room. And our prep room is where they do the embalming or the dressing or the mini preps, which is where you prepare the face for a viewing without embalming. And he opened the door and all of a sudden, boom, four bodies right there. And I just, I went, oh, and that was it, Rochelle. That's when I saw my first dead body. Oh. And then he pulls me, he goes, and he was watching me, he couldn't see how I reacted. I'm like, okay, okay, I made it. Okay. And <laughs> First he step. pulls me back, and, step. right? Step, step one out of a thousand. <laughs> and then we go back into the cold storage. Some people call it the refrigerator. I hate calling it that. Right. But it's cold storage, you know, it's where we're, we're all going to be there someday. Yeah. Um, unless we're lost at sea or something. Um, but, or the aliens of that. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. By the way. Um, but all of a sudden the cold storage opens and there's all these bunk beds with decedents in shrouds, plastic shrouds. And I'm sitting there going, oh, I, I mean, I almost panicked. He was watching me. He shut the door and I looked at him. I said, okay, so when can I start? So I bring that up because you're asking about the medical yeah. because that was step one. Step two was learning to take fingerprints. Step three was learning how to take a ring off in the dark, in the crematory that's in the woods, when this guy has rigor mortis, and I take the ring and he grabs me back and I scream bloody hell. It was, it was okay, the scariest I, moment I've had. <laughs> I actually have this in my notes. I, I want to hear about the wedding ring removal story. <laughs> oh, God, that was way back when. Um, he, was a, he was a mason. And, and my grandfather's, I didn't know my grandfather's had passed before, right after I was born. Um, but I know they were Masons, and I find that very intriguing. And I, I think it's a really cool thing. It also mm -hmm. has a weird checkered history, too. But, um, so I was pulling off this ring, and this gentleman was old, and I was by myself. It's nighttime. Um, and I had, wasn't really doing a lot of, I was new, so I had to do a couple nighttime. And uh, it was uh, the dark winter, and... The crematory is set back in the woods and uh, <laughs> across the parking lot from the crematory is an old house that's been broken down and I found out the local police <laughs> force uses it for SWAT practice. So I'm like, oh, geez, what am I doing here? <laughs> Half of the crematory had been um, vandalized with fire and was burning down. So I, uh, <laughs> I, I, the rigor has, had set in. I need to get the, the ring off. It was tight. So I He's just struggling with it. And there's all these tricks you can do with bread and we've all been there and lotions and all that. Right. So I used hand sanitizer. But as I'm doing it, you know, I've got my my pointer finger of my hand on top of the fourth ring knuckle and my thumb is below it. So his his middle and his pointer finger are basically holding my thumb, mm -hmm. if you will, if you can picture that. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I pulled the ring off, it literally, his, his uh, fist clenched and grabbed me. Oh and, my uh, gosh, we, holy crap. Uh, oh, th yeah, that's putting it nicely. I said a few things <laughs> and, uh, and then I just, yeah, you did. I realized, yeah, I, I realized, oh, this is okay. I guess it was bound to happen. And, but I yeah. looked at him for a while, waiting for him to sit up and talk to me. I'm like, oh my God, he's not dead. He's not dead. He's not um, dead. I know. And he had passed, obviously. So I, I prepared yeah. him and him 
got them ready and, and put them in cold storage. But that was a that was another that was a stage oh. three, if you will, <laughs> step three. <laughs> Just get uh, grabbed by a corpse. Yeah, yeah. Now legally, when you don't have a female director's uh, license, embalming license, or an intern license, which is what I have because I, I have my mm-hmm. big test coming up in February. Um, but I do have a license number. You are not allowed to be in the prep room unless you have one of those licenses. So as a removal person, I could not go in there when, um, okay. number one, the first scalpel hits the skin and when the chemicals are being put into the, the machine, the embalming machine. I couldn't legally be in there. Hmm. So I never really got to see that. Um, and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. when I get this, hey, uh, Russ, you're up. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I thought I had to interview and go through us, but no, no, you've done your job. We want you to do this. Wow. So I went in to watch somebody who'd been doing it for 10 years or so start. And she was amazing. Just she, so sweet. This the sweetest, amazing colleague I could ever wish for. And um, this was at the funeral home I was prior. I'm not a different. But she was so sweet. And I watched her and I thought, oh, God, she's slicing into the neck. And it freaked me out. Yeah. And then, um, you know, starting to raise the vessels and all of that. And she goes, okay, time to massage. And so what we do is we, we take soap, we scrub the body, and we're massaging. We have to break rigor, which means bending the knees back and forth, fingers, all that. And then massaging, getting that fluid all the way up and down the legs, mm-hmm. all the way into the torso, the arms, the fingers, the head. Sometimes you have to do different entrances um, if it's not working. Oh, wow. Um, so that was kind of my first intro to that. But I just jumped because before that, uh, you can't put a body into a retort or cremation that has any radioactive material or a pacemaker because they will literally go off like a bomb and it's very dangerous. Oh. So what do we get to do? We get to remove it. You have to remove it. And the first oh. time, that was my first time with a scalpel. And uh, it was an amazing experience. Um, and I say amazing because it's just, hmm, how can I say this without sounding so dark? Cutting into somebody else's flesh is you feel I felt like I was violating and hurting that person and I had to realize that I was helping them or I was helping their family and it was I made it very surgical and medical and you know and we we collect as a company pacemakers and we ship them back to the company who sends them to third world countries for people who need pacemakers so we try to recycle when we can oh wow doesn't always happen but we try to um yeah, there's, I, well, I'll talk about that other pace. It's hard? Yeah, it is hard. Um, so that was kind of the first jumping into. And then, you know, just, I know I've been talking a lot about this, but, you know, there's the first autopsy case where you have to repair an autopsy body. And that is, anybody that thinks that right. you know, when you see an autopsy body, you know, you've got that cool baseball stitch, the, the B and then the down. When a body comes to you after being autopsy, there's right. maybe three or four stitches. Oh, really? It's the funeral directors that, that do the stitching. Yeah. Oh. So I've got, yeah, I've gotten really good at stitching. Yeah. So anytime I you see no somebody idea. like that, yep. Anytime you see something like that, that's not the coroner that's doing it. No, they just want to get the body oh. to you. Because when a body's been autopsied, you can't embalm the normal way. You literally, I don't know how graphic you want to get, but I could if you want me to. <laughs> but you literally have to do internal embalming. You have to go inside the person, including the head, um, you know, and it's. It's a very bizarre thing, very weird. 
but you kind of... That is bizarre. Yeah, it becomes very medical. It really does. What would what else would you want people to know about this journey that you're taking? Well, I'm in no means an expert. I'm an amateur. I'm new. I'm coming from a completely different industry. So I don't mean to talk as if I have all the answers. I have zero answers. Right now, for me, it's based on my empathy and my feelings and having watched family members lose their family members or my, one of my best friends lose his son. And, you know, that's where my expertise comes. Mm-hmm. The other stuff I'm, I'm learning, you know, learning the technical terms, learning the different types of embalming fluids, learning the legalities of going to the coroner to get the death certificates made and to stop Social Security. I'm learning all of those and how do you apply insurance. There's a lot to it. So if somebody thinks, oh, I'm going to go be a mortician, I'm just going to embalm people. Well, there are trade embalmers, but trade embalmers are people that are so good at it mm-hmm. because they've done it for years and they've probably been a funeral director and worked with families. Mm-hmm. So there is no, I'm just going to go play with dead bodies. I know this sounds callous, but there are people out there that think they're going to do that. And right, right. If that's your ambition in life, um, it's not a bad ambition, but I think people need to realize that there's more to the story. And I'm learning every day that there's more to the story. The reason I love my job so much is that not one day is the same. I also have the most amazing team. And, and I just, I love everybody I work with. Mm. Amazing boss, amazing colleagues, amazing removal staff, just amazing. Our groundskeeper is amazing. Just so positive. And, it's ama- and we work together to do that. So I think you can tell, like I said earlier, you can tell when somebody's become yeah. numb when they get a little short-tempered, perhaps, or they get a little snippy. Um, something's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think for people to, to just think, you know, maybe that's something I want to go into. Really, really explore stuff. You know, there's there's incredible... Ask a mortician. I can't remember her name, but she's wonderful. She's, she does some really good stuff. Um, but but it's not just what she talks about. Or, or you talk, there's a restorative embalmer who will put faces back together, her bodies back together. Wow. You know, or reconstruct halves of heads for the family to see. It's amazing. That is amazing. And that's actually something I want, yeah, I want to learn to do that. I want to learn reconstructive, which if you asked me a, a year ago if I'd ever would have said that, I would have laughed. But that's what I want to do. I want to I want to study reconstructive. Really? Wow. But I know that I'm a, I'm a baby in this industry. I'm in an infantile state, and I have a lot to learn. And I think humility is what carries us through. And I'm not saying, look at me, I'm humble. What I am saying is I'm aware of wh- how I need to grow and the areas that I am not prepared for. Mm-hmm. And I think by recognizing that, that will help me succeed to helping families, I think. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't I know. I think so too. <laughs> I'm just, you know, who knows, who knows. <laughs> I'm on the road and... Yeah, yeah exactly, so... Well, it has just been fascinating to follow the journey so far, just in the little posts that you do in your little videos. And I appreciate it. You know, what you do too, though, Michelle, and and I hope people are really listening to you because I feel like when you, and I know Taylor is sometimes on the the show with you, I really Mm -hmm. feel like you, I just feel like I'm in the room with you. You have such a warm personality and... I, I feel like I've known you forever. You. It's so great. <laughs> like if I, I, I feel know, like if I saw you yeah. on the street, I'd be like, hey, what's up? Let's go have lunch. You know? Um, I know. I know. And I think that's a beautiful thing because of the stories you're telling. And it's, 
it's very thank you yeah I, my daughter and i we went to the ha- most haunted place in our state and it's um it's a it's a coal mining town graveyard and i was i Ooh. actually thought about you because <laughs> <laughs> we were it. there and we were looking for stuff and we did see stuff we definitely saw stuff um some what oh that we gosh. can't explain and my daughter and i are really into the paranormal and i made some really great paranormal connections um on on instagram too um, mm-hmm. with some really cool people uh and and like hillary and mallory uh, the, i don't know if you know yeah. them um just awesome no i need i need you to need meet to them. reach out to them um, i just follow them yeah yeah they they had a profile called blackbeat paranormal um they don't mm-hmm. anymore they run their own they still do stuff together but we talked a couple times and they're just awesome so they're Hillary especially will reach out and we'll talk about goings on in my funeral home uh which there are I I we have things that happen Okay so <laughs> one day <laughs> one day let's go let's talk about that You messaged you mess no you oh, already okay. did you <laughs> What did you I do? messaged me and Hillary I did. and somebody else with a video and you said okay <laughs> ladies Right. What is going on here? Right. <laughs> I hear noises. <laughs> was that the? I'm in the funeral home. Was that the knocking? It yes. Was. Do you know what it was? It was. What a, was it? A woodpecker. Oh. <laughs> and I'm. I think that's what I said. <laughs> yeah, I'm not at that funeral home anymore. I'm at a different one now. That's. I'm at a, a different home. one. Yeah, the one I, I'm at now was built in the late 1800s, and um. Oh was, wow. Uh huh. And was torn down completely, uh-huh. rebuilt in the 70s. <laughs> uh, so it's very 70s, wow. which, you know, as a James Bond, Diamonds Are Forever fan, it's perfect. <laughs> um, I, I love it. I love it. I'll put on Frank Sinatra in the chapel when I'm alone. Um, yeah. I was there alone the other night. And, you know, okay, now people are going to start thinking I'm crazy. But I was working at my desk. <laughs> and from the other side of the wall, I heard two muffled voices of two women laughing and giggling. And I immediately logged off and ran and went home for the day. Um, and you know what? Maybe it was just me. It could have just been me. But we brought in mediums to the funeral home who have said, oh, yes, there's two little little boys running around the chapel who are too scared. They think their mom is mad at them. And then, you know, we had this one, uh-huh. <laughs> apparently an evil spirit in the back kitchen. And I, I, you know, I don't know what I think about that, but it sure is fun. Right, it's right. fun to think about. It's interesting, yeah. Until you're there alone at night. That just cracked me <laughs> up, though. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, I'm here alone. There's this knocking yep. noise. I can't find what's causing it. What is it? I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so those are the fun stories, you know. I mean, what we do is such a... Yeah. A, I wouldn't want to say a dark industry. I say it's a light industry. But, you know, you have to have your moments, too, mm. where you can also have a little bit of fun. You know, we never make fun of right, decedents right. at all. We never poke no, fun. No, you don't. Um, but we do. There is. You are always super respectful. Yes, 100%. And you guys do such a great job doing that, really. I just, I truly appreciate the, the stories you tell. And you, you make it so personal. Like, we knew these people, which I think is an amazing thing. You know, we'll just have to check in next year. and we'll just Let's do how, it. See how the journey is going. <laughs> I'm sure I'll have some more stories. I, I did rebuild my first eyeball a month ago, so we can talk about that another time. I'm just going to leave it there. I'm not even going to tell you what happened. <laughs> I rebuilt an eyeball. Stay tuned. Wasn't that so fascinating? And what an addition Russ will make to this industry. He's making a difference one life at a time and one family at a time. And I just think it's amazing. 
and today I'd found this little poem that's called Turn Again to Life by Mary Lee Hall. And this poem was probably made most famous for having been read at Princess Diana's funeral. If I should die and leave you here a while, be not like others, sore undone, but keep long vigils by the silent dust and weep. For my sake, turn again to life and smile, nerving thy heart and trembling hand to do something to comfort weaker hearts than thine. Complete these dear, unfinished tasks of mine, and I, perchance, may therein comfort you. Until next time, friends, this was Stones, Bones, and Shadows. You can see photos and more information about the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at stonesbonesandshadowspodcast.com. Also, don't forget to check us out on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok, where you can interact with us. As always, we love to hear from our listeners.